0: welcome to the strong single and human podcast a real look at single parenting the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating i'm your host claire martin welcome This week's guest is one of the founders of a residential mental health trauma and dependency treatment center for teens in Colorado. He's a parent interventionist and a family coach. He is also an addict in in long-term recovery and has ADHD, which he calls his superpower. He has been a single father, an absent father, a recovering father, and a bonus stepfather. And he understands what it's like to have an absent father who did everything wrong and a stepdad who did everything right. He offers step-by-step guidance on how to avoid the risky choices and behaviours of teens and strategies to confront rough stuff and much, much more. Hey everyone, I just wanted to add a side note to this week's podcast aaron runs a treatment center in california that was impacted by the fires he will explain all about how it's been impacted um but it does mean that the podcast this week doesn't follow the standard normal flow for what for want of a better word so um bear with us we're going to talk about his treatment center and what's actually happened to the treatment center which is horrendous and then we get into more detail about how you deal with your teenagers uh drugs treatment of them how you actually help them regarding substance abuse basically hope you enjoy please listen and give me your feedback hello how are you yes hi there perfectly Good. can you hear me Perfectly, okay? perfectly well
1: great um Since yeah. you and I last talked, my treatment Due center COVID, has been or it.
0: like
1: um, no, oh no, oh, because of the yeah. fires in Colorado, our property insurance, our property insurance went from twenty thousand <gasps> a year to four hundred and seventy thousand no. dollars a year, and we we fought with insurance companies, we fought with the Colorado Insurance Commission. And they said, it's just business. And we said, these are children who are suicidal. What do you mean it's just business? And we had to shut our program down two months ago. So everything I'm doing right now is, uh, you know, that, that the, the future of Aaron's work with parents. I'm back to individual family coaching. Uh, But after sixteen years, at the absolute top of our game, after winning two massive awards in the United States, um, we had to shut down. It was it was devastating. So I am I am currently in Utah, hopefully with no fires or trees Uh, or
0: anything around you.
1: My wife and I no fire or trees around you. We're we're literally just saying. No, but but the last fire that almost reached our facility—it was less than a mile away—was uh, less than two weeks ago, and so so it's been a massive shift since we last talked. Um, but it doesn't change the the Q and A. How can we help parents? How do you find a treatment facility? Why do kids need the help? What are some of the biggest stories you remember about working with families in treatment, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's then, what, but then
0: what? What are you going to do? Out. What are, you, are you going to set a treatment center up somewhere else in the country or cuz you've got to carry on well, with the work I own you're that doing?
1: Property. I am, but I cannot just go set up another treatment facility because I own the property. Wow. And so now I have 40 plus acres with five houses and a lodge with 20 rooms in it that are sitting empty. And there, it's not currently we're renting it out and we're landlords and it's a bunch of bullshit, but it's not this heart project that we started with in 2009, the treatment facility in 2009 is done. Like, and it was, it's like the rug was yanked out from underneath us. And it's just been like the past two months have been like, what the hell did I do wrong? Did I like. Like not give Jesus the Heimlich maneuver at the Last Supper or some shit. Like it's been it's been something. And so, but what am I doing? Is like
0: listening to you and everything. And it's a, it's a bitch, right? It definitely is a bitch. You're destined for bigger and better things. And And they and I sit there and I go, restricting you to twenty rooms and the help that you were giving was awesome, but. Maybe they went, no, do you know what? You haven't actually picked up on the fact that you could actually take this and do so much more with this. So we're just going to like mess with you a bit and you need to take it out and do something different. Like, as in still we, do the same I, stuff, know, but... Had,
1: yeah, and I've got I've got other projects running. This This parent app that I have has been launched and it's everything I've ever taught parents in the last 20 years of working with families it's been launched and released. Uh, I am seeing individual clients again. But the next phase in my life is, okay, how do I keep kids out of treatment? Like, Like being a treatment program is great, but that's the last line of defense. How do we get out to the first line of defense? How do we shift this work so that parents go, my kid's at risk? We say, great, do your work now, Or you're going to have to put your kid in treatment, and even the best of us as treatment facilities, there's no promises. Like like it was done in a day, that's that's how fast our program ended. After 13 years, all of a sudden, it was over. Like like the an insurance company walked up and said, "We want $470,000 a year," and we were like, "You what? Like like it's not it's not sustainable." And they were like, "So we we." And I, I'm happy to tell this story on the air. No, I'm no, happy no. I would like you to, because it- I
0: don't know. I don't know who this is going to get to. I don't know where it's going to go. It will be out in the ether, yeah. though. And who knows? Somebody can pick it up and go, hey, you know, I want to I go and help these guys. I want to go and do what I, I don't, yeah. like. That's why I, I do what I do, because... Um, because I want to be able to help kids, parents, etc., um, and publicise places yeah. and people like yourselves to be able to help them. And I just think I just it blows my mind that they've gone. Can you not set this up? Is it was it set up as a charity? No. Can you set it up?
1: No, 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 and. No, because, because the IRS would absolutely not have it. To go from a for-profit to a non-profit is the most suspicious well, thing you can yeah, do. Sorry. That's yeah. number one. And Number one. Number two is that means I have to raise half a million dollars a year that goes to nobody but the wow. fucking insurance yeah.
0: companies? No, no, no. no I know.
1: You know, it's like absolutely not. That's a business partner yeah. I don't want that I have to have and they get to take the lion's share of yeah. everything? No, no, no. 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 No, for half a million dollars to raise that a year and have none of that actually help a child? No, 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 no. That's not how. That's not good business. That's that's capitalism at its worst. And the the, the thing is, is that to to sit here and and I of all people, you being in Australia to understand this to say, I didn't, I don't know if global warming is real. I'm not I don't a scientist, know but. Global warming, I think, just shut down my business because this was never a problem until the past two years. And all of a sudden I got nonstop wow. fires. I've had to evacuate my facility twice. And I oh, know you guys geez, understand yeah. that in Australia to suddenly look and be like, how did half of our country just burn down? We've been hot and dry for a yeah. few years now. All of a sudden this year. Like, like I to to to, to be honest, Claire, I. I can bemoan and begrudge and talk about insurance companies still in blue in the face because the first thing is, is that we've had to fight for every penny. From these insurance companies and parents and families pay each month to these companies to say, I'm giving you this money. So, in one day, if God forbid I need it, you help me back. And these insurance companies, all they do is say, No, I don't want to help. No, we're not going to help. Oh, is your child suicidal today? If they're not today, then we're not interested in helping. For that to happen and to fight every day for these families to get their money back in the form of help and support that these insurance companies have promised them. And then to look over here at a place I never thought was going property insurance, liability insurance is already this year. It was going to go up to $160,000 a year because no insurance company wants to assume the liability of child children in treatment. It's a high risk business. So I can understand liability insurance shutting me down. As much as I would hate it, I understand it. But property insurance? I, and and then to go through the list of why my property was safe. I have no trees within 150 yards. The siding on my building is concrete siding. It is a fire-resistant building. I have a pond. I have a fire hydrant on my property. I have a fire road. I have a parking lot that fire trucks can turn around in. I have multiple entrances. My next-door neighbor has a fire truck because he is the lieutenant oh of the fire department. Like there is, but. They declared they would not send an insurance assessor to our property to look. They said, we don't care. And we want half a million dollars a year or you can go to hell. And we just went through hell. And my wife and I started this in our home. My wife and I started this program in our home and because yeah. of our success we grew. We were literally the top performing treatment center in the United States. So I feel targeted because insurance companies were having to give us money because we were working. They would put their kids into programs the insurance company would pay and the family would stop making claims against the insurance because our we worked. So my conspiracy brain says we were targeted but i don't know what i know is i've had more fires i've had to deal with in colorado in the past two years and the insurance companies don't want well, to pay
0: it's not that it's not a business and is so it at the end of down. the day for the insurance company if they keep paying out then you know it's yeah but then i look at it and go well, for the payments they're getting in is it uh, you know how much profit are they actually really making and really, it's a drop in the ocean. Exactly, it's a drop in the ocean Brilliant. for these payments out to. I I cannot believe that your liability insurance is like a hundred odd grand, but your property insurance is just four times that. Four times that. Four hundred. Nearly five 70, times that. That's just, even. That's insane.
1: Yeah. Could you? It was almost three quarters of a million dollars for insurance to run a program. And even if I had that money, which I did let me, let me, let me even break it down because so many people have come to us through this experience and said, can you move? Can you raise the money? Can you, this, can you this? And it felt like no matter which way we turned, we just hit a dead end. So let me give another example. Cause I've talked about, we can't suddenly become a nonprofit and raise the money because that's another full-time person to raise money that goes to insurance. Like, no way. The second thing was, we're a smaller program. 18 children was our max, right? I would have to suddenly change to 20 kids minimum. Now, here's the thing. When I said 18 kids was our max, we know that we did our best work with 14 to 15 kids. That's what we've been at the entire time we've been open. Twice in all the years that we've been open have I had 18 kids. And that's a lot. It puts a heavy toll on the staff It put because it, our focus is on quality, not quantity, right? Putting 70 kids at a time through treatment can make a program a lot of money, but my wife and I haven't taken a raise in eight years because yeah. we put the money back into the programming. We put the money towards the staff. So to suddenly have half a million dollars a year for property insurance means that I would need to have 20 kids at all times, Minimum. Now, what I feel that that does is compromise the value of the program, and I would have to hire more staff. Where am I going to get more staff right now? Because this is not the time where people are saying, hey, employ me, I want to work. This is a time where people are saying, you got to pay me a hell of a lot more to do any job. And we are a remote program. We don't live in a big, we live outside a very small town. 5,000 people live in our town. So I don't have access to a lot of people. And at the time that this came up, I was doing three jobs and my wife was doing three jobs. We don't have access to more employees. And I don't want to increase the amount of kids at a time that I'm working with because that's not quality care. That's quantity care. And if we're going to do this work, unfortunately, the best work is done one-on-one. So I had 30 staff for 15 kids. I had two staff for every child in our program on average. To change that, look, we won top 50 healthcare provider in the United States in 2019. In 2020, we won top 100 innovators of healthcare in the United States. That's because I had two staff for every one child. That's because every cent we brought in went to the programming and went to the staff, not to the owner's pockets, but to the care of these kids. So now all of a sudden I have to change that. I have to change the core philosophy and belief of my program so that I can pay for property insurance. What is going on here? So no matter what happens, no matter what someone suggested, especially like, can you just move the program? My God, I would love to, but I own that property. I, bu- I bought that property. So what, what do I do with it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I that, that's yeah. where we were, no matter which way we turned. we were
0: wow. like, I think um... it's done. And I'm, and I'm sure you've gone through all the different options. You don't need me to sit here and go through them with you. But, yeah, no, it, the only thing I can think of is that you're destined to do something that's going to touch and affect more people, not just the 18 or so in the program. You are destined to touch and affect more people. And that's the only thing. I mean, you know, in a way, that's the only thing you can think about it, like you've got to turn it into a positive but i mean how
1: so our answer to that here was our answer to that because in 2 months we had to come up with a solution cuz not only did we lose our mission vision passion purpose but we still had mortgages to pay right we i still have to earn a living i still have i still have to help families. Families didn't stop needing help because my insurance premiums went up. And in fact, it's worse now than it's ever been. So the question became, what? and this is a business question that we had to ask, what did we do well? And how do we make that scalable so that everybody can benefit? And as I've told many people, we did great work with children. But what made us the number one facility and have the number one results in the United States was the work we did with parents. It doesn't matter how well you help a child. And I need everybody who's listening, I need to explain it like this. You can say all day long that child's making bad decisions. That child's making risky decisions. This child is at risk. That child has a higher percentile of, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can say that all day long. But if the child at home is speaking French, right? If it's a French speaking household and we want the child to speak Spanish, so we send the child. Mexico and the child immerses themselves into Mexican culture and the richness and the and they learn a new language and some of it's like the old language, but most of it's new, and they learn a new history and a new culture, and then they go home to the French family. Tell me what language they will be speaking in two months. Like they've they've spent their whole life speaking French and they go to Mexico for two months. And then they come home. Two months later, they will be speaking French again. It's no different in recovery. If a child has been speaking the family language for 14 years and you send them to six months of treatment and they learn the treatment language and the culture of treatment and the culture of recovery, but you don't change the parent language, then the child goes home to survive in the family house. They're gonna go back to speaking the family language. So in treatment, you have to treat the family. I'll say it again. You have to treat the family, not a child who's I making risky decisions. I completely agree with you. Decisions.
0: I absolutely 110% agree with you. That child has been brought up within a family that has created a blueprint of how that family unit works, right? So that child, so that's all that chi- So, and that blueprint of being a family unit and how it deals with in iraqs has come down from generations potentially you're going back generations to actually undo some of the harm that was done and it's not the the past generations problems i mean you can look at um europe and i'm european i'm not i don't come from the states but and the states will have its uh, have its own impacts but in in europe right we had two world wars right we had world war 1 and world war 2 they were horrendous the the things that were done to the jews the things that were done in the name of war to human beings fighting on both sides was horrendous and what the people within the war saw both at home and on the war front were horrendous too so You know, you're dealing with the fallout of all of that separation. Children in the UK were separated from their parents and sent to the countryside because it was deemed safer. And so you had that separation anxiety and all of those various different things. And although it probably saved their lives being moved out of the city where it was getting bombed all the time, like, you know, that's horrendous. Um, for a child of five or six to actually be separated from their mother and their family unit that they knew, and death and all of that stuff, right? And so we're only just finding out about PTSD and all of those things now. We didn't know about those back then. And so you had families trying, struggling to survive. And obviously that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. And we're now where we are now.
1: You're, you're, what you're talking about, to take it even deeper, because not only are you right, I don't know if you know how right you are. The study of epigenetics, which is a new form of, uh, uh, of uh, understanding DNA expression, we are beginning to recognize that trauma, mental health, and PTSD goes back 12 Generations. Like we're talking about your family that was attacked by Genghis Khan now, right? We're not talking about just grandma and grandpa who survived World War II. We're talking about things that have been going on in your family lineage 12 generations. I explain it to parents like this. I understand that when we start to talk about changing the family system that you feel like you're being blamed for how your child is acting, it's so much deeper than that. I'm saying that if great-great-grandfather was killed by a snake in the field and grandmother had to raise great-grandmother alone, when she was walking with your great-grandmother through a field and she saw a snake... She had a visceral PTSD reaction. She grabbed great grandmother off the ground and cried and held your grandfather. Your father was killed by a snake, and so great grandmother has raised grandmother to be afraid of snakes. And grandmother raised mother, and now mother doesn't even know why. She says to her daughter, "Ooh, I don't like snakes." That is how. A trauma from four generations, three generations ago, affects DNA expression. That this little child doesn't know why mom hates snakes and mom doesn't know why. But grandmother remembers a story that great-grandmother's dad died. And you were just like, is this real? And not only are we realizing it's real, but it has changed the DNA of your child, right. the, the, how your DNA expresses. And this is showing up in addiction. This is showing up in behavioral health. This is showing up in mental health. So this is not about blaming mom and dad. Tell me about your mother. The old psychologist say, this is about saying to the family, your child is not responsible for the happiness of the family, the whole family, has to go into recovery. If your child has tried to commit suicide, everybody's traumatized. And if everybody doesn't deal with trauma, then the parents are parenting while they're traumatized, which means, They are beginning a new legacy of shifting genetic expression. Now, if we look back to the fact that grandfather and grandmother were in the war and they barely survived, uh, they're traumatized. And so they raised mom and dad traumatized and mom and dad are raising. And that legacy is being passed. It's up to the parents to say, my child is making risky decisions. And if I don't change even if my child does their work and makes better decisions, they will be making those better decisions in a home that is still living in fear and reaction to the risky decisions they used to make. Why? Because that's my genetic expression. And that is why we have to educate parents in recovery. Dr. Patch Adams, who was one of my early mentors, he taught us your grandmother does not have Alzheimer's. Oh. Your family has Alzheimer's.
0: Treat wow. the okay. Whole okay. family. That's, yeah, that's interesting. And look, I, I completely, completely agree. Because like at the end of the day, we're born children, right? Now, whether you believe in nature, nurture and all of this stuff, like I believe that part of it is genetics, but I believe that how we, so we have genes within us um, and there is, um, Oh, I'm trying to think of his name now. I think it's Bruce Lipton, who is a, uh, um, who uh, studies DNA and um, it's Bruce or Brian, but I feel sure it's Bruce and that's so bad. I will find out and I'll put it in the notes, but um, I've read uh, uh, he's basically as a biologist and studies DNA and genes and various different things like that. And he has basically said that your you can change your genes, right? But certain stresses and also gabamate um Discusses and writes about this a lot, and you know, and I talk about him all the time. I drive my listeners mental with him. But the thing is, like, go and look at the stuff that these guys are writing, okay? Because basically, what they're saying is that we have our genes. Our genes are our genes, right? We get them from our parents, and they get our parents get them from their parents, etc., etc. And there are certain key points in our genes that are there. However. Depending on the stresses, the traumas and things that actually happen to us in our lives and how we think about things will and how we deal with stress and trauma will actually influence whether we get certain types of cancer, MS, um, heart disease and, you know, and the various different things like that. And it's quite interesting. So four, three, four years ago, I had a heart operation. Okay, heart operation, had an irregular heartbeat, and you sort of go, "Mm, okay, wow, why was that? No other heart disease whatsoever. However, I had been through an extremely stressful work situation, an extremely stressful relationship situation, but I had my son. And so I was going, okay, we need to keep everything on the down low suppress all that emotion and all the stress that i was going through because i wanted him to actually have you know not to deal with the stress that i was going through and the trauma and all of that other stuff that i was going through and i truly believe that one of the elements that contributed to my irregular heartbeat was me suppressing all of my emotions and trying to keep it straight and you know for want of a better word sane in the home the family home so my son wouldn't experience stress trauma and all of those things right meant that I was suppressing it and I wasn't actually letting out my emotions which meant my heart was going okay well I need to do something to stop you slow you down sort you out get something sorted so yeah
1: yeah And I think on top of that, we can then say, great, who taught you how to suppress your emotions for other people's benefit, right? Because the genetic expression of your heart disease, compounded with the expression of your belief system, that was nurtured by a family member who suppressed their emotions for your benefit that said, oh, this is how we do. Th- so when people say, is it nature, is it nurture? The answer is yes, it's both. Can you change genetic expression? If we didn't, we'd all be dead from addiction because somewhere in your bloodline is an addict, right? <laughs> so if you, if you couldn't change it, we wouldn't be here. So absolutely, you can change it. Absolutely, you can fight your own genetic expression. But that doesn't mean you sell it down the river and say, hey, child, you're responsible for the happiness of the family. So you shift and I'll be happy. That doesn't work. In fact, that belief system, where we are setting the addict or the person with OCD or the person with bipolar or the person with ADHD or autism, when we set them aside to say, we're going to get you support and we're going to treat you special. We're going to walk on eggshells around you because you are currently the one having the problems in the family and everybody else is in pure (laughs) fucking denial. Excuse my French, but pure denial that, that, This is not just about mom and dad having to deal with their stuff. It's also that mom and dad are still carrying grandma and grandpa's and great-grandma and grandpa's luggage, and we're handing it to our children saying, here, carry this crap on your journey of life. And at some point, we say to mom and dad, and this is why my business was successful, because when a parent brought their child to my treatment center, we looked at the parents and we said, Here's your work. Here's your phase work. We expect you at these phone calls. We expect you at this family counseling. We expect you at this four day parenting event. We want to see you every single week, two or three times a week. We want you here at family dinners. We want you online. We want you. And parents did more work at our treatment facility than we ever saw parents do at any other place, to the point that I have treatment centers wanting to hire me to run their parenting events because people are listening. They've started to recognize that what Fire Mountain did, which was treat the parents, is what's going to work. Our success rate was 89%. That is everybody else's failure rate. We had an 89% success rate because Even if the child, and I want parents to hear this, I want everybody to hear this. Even if the child did not survive, even if the child did not recover, the family did. And what is amazing about that is when a child came home and they're like, I don't know, I just did treatment, but I don't know if I'm going to commit to it. The parents are like, well, that's okay, because we are. And at some point, if the parents raise the bar, the child will grab it and do pull-ups. That's where our success rate come from. So I say to any person out there who wants someone else to change so that you can be happy, if you are thinking that if my spouse, if my parent, if my child would change their behavior, then I could sleep, eat, drink water, move my body, or breathe on purpose better, then you are in the final stage of survival thinking. And what you have to do is you have to sleep on purpose, you have to eat nutritious food on purpose, you have to drink water on purpose, you have to move your body on purpose, and you have to breathe on purpose, not on accident. If you don't do those things accidentally, you will die from bad health issues. If you do those things on purpose, you will begin your recovery process and model for your children what it means to truly recover in life. Because a child who has anxiety, depression, ADHD, bipolar, suicidal, a child who's going through that needs to know where to look for the model of recovery. And a parent who has a child who's making risky decisions, stealing the car, trying to kill themselves, ODing on drugs, cutting themselves, a parent who is parenting out of fear, fatigue, or fury, your best parent decisions made from anger from stress or fatigue are yep, your agree. worst parenting decisions but the moment you begin your recovery process the moment you begin sleeping Again, finding a way to make sure that you get a good night's sleep, finding a way, finding the support so that you start eating nutritiously, finding a way to move your body every day, finding a way to drink water, enough water, finding a way to sit for a second, a minute, an hour, I don't care, and take conscious, on-purpose breaths. Your worst parenting decisions from a place of consciousness and healing are better decisions. Then your best
0: parenting decisions
1: made from
0: survival. Yeah, because survival mode, you're going back to the only thing you know, which is how you were brought up or like, or you go into your fight or flight mode, which is, you know, you're fighting, you're fighting with your child or you're fleeing the whole, I I wash my hands of this, I can't deal with this, I'm out. Yeah.
1: I'm out. I'm done. There, they're there are actually. Sorry, uh, I'm now drinking water uh, now because you've made me think, oh, I modes. need to drink water. The milita- <laughs> <laughs>
0: there,
1: there are actually, the military began to identify more limbic behaviors, right? We all, we all know fight or flight. We all know that one. And when I say limbic behaviors, I mean, the limbic part of your brain is this, the lizard part, the survival part, the part that, shuts off all auxiliary power and just goes to life support, right? When you are in life support parenting, you have a one of six places, fight, flight, freeze, faint,
0: fornicate, wow. Okay, feed. then. Right? I'm up for number five, because but that, like, that you know, um, the... I'm not sure I want to do that when I'm tired or stressed. <laughs> oh, no, wait, think about it.
1: But see, think about that. Fornicate also means that we look for Quick satisfaction. Fornicate doesn't necessarily mean intimate communion, right? Fornicate means pornography. Fornicate means a sudden
0: release of energy it's so an that escape I can feel better from right your now. real place. And sometimes, right, yes. sitting in, right. for want of a better word, the shitty place that you're in, feeling the emotions yes. and feeling the pain and i've been there you feel the pain the loss all of the other things that you are dealing with the desperation the frustration all of that stuff if you sit in it accept that state and then come up with an action plan and you don't actually go well it's not happening to me and i'm going to get drunk uh, i'm going to and, and and look i'm in melbourne i am in the most lockdown city in the world regarding covid i have spent so many days in lockdown with a five-stroke six-year-old because he had his birthday during lockdown. Um, It's so easy. It would be so easy to go, oh, and there were times I did go, right, I need a glass of wine. I've had one of those weeks. And you just go and you grab a glass of wine, right? Which is fine. One or two's okay. Getting smashed out of your face with like three or four bottles of wine when you have a child is not... You're not dealing with the situation. You're not dealing with him. You need to be calm. You need to come up with an action plan. Okay, things aren't working. I'm in lockdown. Things aren't working. He's not doing his schoolwork. What is my action plan? Not to reach for the glass of wine and get drunk because that ain't going to solve anything. The next morning I wake up, it's still a problem. So yeah. Let's
1: uh, let's uh, let's expand on this, Claire, because this is you. You've tapped into such an important conversation for the adults in 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 reaction not response but reaction to some life and death struggle their child is going through any parent who who has a child who has gone through a life and death struggle knows the fear and the fatigue and the fury that suddenly emerges and you go into fight flight freeze faint fornicate feet like like but but now let's break down the question because right on the cusp of this we are we are saying what is actually addiction because it's not about drugs. Addiction is a maladaptive coping strategy that we repeat until it becomes the conditioned response. So, let's take that glass of wine because let's be clear, a, a hamburger, a large fries and a large soda from any fast food chain will not Kill you. It's what we do every day that kills us, right? That glass of wine is irrelevant until that's your response every time. I've had a hard day at work. I have a glass of wine. I watch Netflix. Not a big deal, except if you're doing that every day, it's an extremely big deal, right? The extreme big deal is when we repeat the habit to avoid the emotional experience and it doesn't matter how big or small the habit is because mayonnaise can
0: become a deadly habit if i eat it every day because water is supposed to be exactly water is supposed to be good for us right we're supposed to drink a lot of water however if you're drinking right. a bath full of water every day right it is it it will, kill you, it will kill you you know
1: right so now so now we're sitting with a parent that says okay I have a I have a child who's got a behavioral disorder, an addiction, a a mental disorder, whatever it is, and their life has become dysfunctional, thus pulling the family's life into dysfunction. Then we say to the parents, "Okay, you can go lizard or you can go wizard. The lizard is." Automatic reaction that's behaviorally based. It is conditioning your response. It digs the hole deeper and sets up expectation of others. A, B, C, D, E. Automatic behavior, conditioning, digging that hole deeper, and all you're left with is expectations of others. If they change, then I will be happy. Or we go to wizard. The wizard side of it, the prefrontal cortex is A awareness are you aware of what's actually going on not my child's making a bad decision that's the fruit i'm talking about the root epigenetics need meeting oh, there's there's deeper stuff b Are you balanced? Are you balanced in your body? Have you had enough sleep? Have you been drinking enough water? Have you been moving? Do you truly have a balance going on your body or are you all emotions right now? Because there are lots of different areas of your body. And if you're all in one space and you try to parent from that space, it's going to suck, period, plain and simple. You can't accidentally be a good parent to a child in crisis. It's something that has to be very intentional and very balanced. So B is balance. C is connection before correction. You want to run in and come in and change and say, here's what you need to do and what you need to get through your head, and you need to make better decisions but there is no compliance without alliance. You need to connect to the situation, to your emotional experience, to your support network, to yourself before you ever sit down and try to connect with your child. Through that, correction can actually present itself. Then you can go to D. D is now you can decide what to do. But first, awareness, balance, Connection before correction, and then you can decide. And then, like any smart wizard, you have to e evaluate the outcome and over. start yeah. over. Because through your evaluation, you will always see what you missed. But all these things are conscious; they're not automatic behaviors that are conditioned and digging the hole deeper and sets up an expectation that you got to change your ways so that I can be yeah, happy. Yeah, and, and I, I and
0: that like that will never work. And to me, like all of those, all of that A, B, C, D, E is important. But to me also, the maybe the hardest one to deal with as a parent. And also, I suppose, and I've not got there yet, but I suppose when your child is moving from being your baby, being your child who was, you know, um, who you were the apple of their eye and you know you could you know they would you go out and you go to parks and you do all the things that you do with your kids when they're younger right when they start to move away from you and become who they are that connection it's we forget and and my son's five six right and so he's still my baby okay but i forget right He's his own person. Even at 5'6", he has his own opinions, his own views, his own way of dealing with stuff. He's headstrong. He's passionate. He's challenging he's frustrating but he's got his own outlook and his own view on the world and I can influence that at the moment a little bit regarding boundaries what's right and wrong and values and behaviors and stuff like that and try and point him in the right direction but at the end of the day when he starts to move away from me as a parent and starts to go well uh, where am I in the world and what's my positioning hopefully I've done the base work so that he's like is okay, but I've got to stop because I've got to – he's his own person. Jesus. I've got to let him go. He's, you know, he's not going to be what I want him to be in, you know, yes. or what I imagine I want him to be because, you know, I want him to be happy. That's basically – as long as he's happy, I really don't care. Even from at this age, when he's older, I don't care. That's all I want him to be is happy and healthy. He could be – I don't know. He could be picking flowers in a field somewhere. As long as he's happy, I don't care. You know, I don't want him to be a doctor lawyer or anything like that. He needs to be happy. That's it.
1: Yeah. There, there are two developmental stages that will reference what you are talking about right now um, in extremes. The first is especially for boys and I'm talking about boys right now. We've identified in what's called the nine-year change. When your son is nine years old, he's going to have a deep realization about mortality, that at nine years old, he realizes mom and son are separate beings, and mom could die, and son could survive. And that thrusts the child, the boy child, into an experience of I hate you. Why do you, why don't you treat me like a young adult? I'm grown up. I'm this, I'm that To Mommy, mommy, can I cuddle
0: in your lap At nine years old. All right. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be against that stage because I quite like that stage.
1: No, of course not. You can't. And in fact, for you to deny that stage can cause developmental delays. Okay. The second stage comes between 12 and 14. And this is where you change from protecting him from the world to preparing him for it. This is because the longer we try to protect... What happens is a couple of things. Number one, if we are trying to protect our children, our teenagers from the world, and the world is a violent, scary, effed up place right now. Uh, Just had another shooting here in the U.S. Yet again, we got to have the converse in Michigan. We had a terrible shooting, like the 12th largest shooting in American history. You're just like, okay, this is a scary World. 30% of the internet is pornography. There are predators everywhere. There are shootings everywhere. Nobody can agree on what's right and what's wrong. And nobody thinks they're on the wrong side. And everybody thinks they're the good guy. And what the hell is wrong with everybody else? So, of course, we want to protect our children from it. But if we, as when they get teenagers, if we as parents protect our teenagers from their choices, from their beliefs, From their asinine, ridiculous logic that does not exist when they are a teenager, if we protect them from that, we do not communicate that we trust them to figure things out. That's number one. Number two, in communicating that we don't trust them to figure things out and we figure things out for them. When what we figured out doesn't work, guess who they blame? When life stops working, guess who they blame? Guess who they turn around to and say, Well, you were wrong about that. So now tell me what to do. Well, that won't work because blah, blah, blah. Now tell me what to do. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And they will literally start to fight you to have an opportunity to make their own decisions. So those are the two big changes that you have coming up next nine years old and 12 years old, where At 12, you have to begin gently, lovingly, in very clever, original ways, show them how to pay bills. How? Charge them for their internet. Say your share of the internet is $12 a month. Let me know how you're going to come up with that or the internet will get shut off. And if he doesn't find a way to make that, don't tell him, well, how do I figure that out? You'll figure it out. You're so smart. You've always been so smart. But you have to hand me $12 on the first of every month, or you won't have internet for that month. And if he shows up late, you say, that's great. I'll turn it back on. Thanks for your $12. Next time it's late, it's going to be $12.50. Like you just show, yeah. you make it fun. You make it a game. You make it nothing of consequence. So he's 12, but doesn't get to play Minecraft for a few days. Oh, oh heaven for fend. You're teaching him how to pay bills, to be responsible, to hustle, to earn, a, to earn money. To it's an invaluable lesson. And the earlier you start this stuff as a parent, the less you have to deal with as a teenager, this, well, I yeah. want a new phone. Well, you're sending nude pictures on it. So I'm taking it away. That's not yours. You gave that to me. Well, you don't deserve to have one there's no power struggles if you teach them how to solve these problems Mm. when they're Mm. younger. And then that's the nurturing piece. You got to watch out for the nature because the truth is, is that great, 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 great grandfather might've been a douchebag who killed a lot of people. And that's showing up in your kid's DNA and you
0: have to navigate that too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then, so on top of all of that, like, and that's so, like, because I'm just thinking, because um, my funda, my son doesn't have, like, autism or ADHD or anything like that. So we're just talking about the norm. But then also you've then got yeah. other uh, – so I've got a friend contacted me yesterday, her child's got autism, right? So or potentially autism. I shouldn't say he has until it's been fully diagnosed but then you're you're having to deal with those sort of situations and those sort of and and they're different perspectives on the world i don't like i i, I don't call them issues because they're not they're a di- they have a different perspective on the world and i think in 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 my intro um that i i said yeah you know you were diagnosed with adhd and you call it your superpower and i've got, i've got to say and And I agree with you, right? Because you just deal with things in a different way to how I deal with things, to potentially how my brother would deal with it. Like, we're all individuals. We're all different. So ADHD just means that you just have different ways of dealing with stuff that I wouldn't deal with in the same way.
1: Yeah, and Claire, this is the way I've explained it because I was just listening to a show I was on where I talked about ADHD being my superpower. And the guy says how do you explain ADHD to people? And I said, ADHD means I'm not you. And one thing that we understand about autism spectrum is that they don't think like we do. That's true with bipolar. That's true with ADHD. That's true with OCD. That's true with BPD. That's true with all addiction. That's true with all of them. And what I love about this is to say, if you have an autistic child, what this means is I'm not you. And as long as you are, as long as your child thinks that the way that they think is a form of misbehavior, then they will never learn how to use how they think in the real world. My superpower comes from the fact that being ADHD, my parents provided space. My wife, God bless her beautiful goddess heart, has learned how to live with me and think with me and be married with me and not look at me and say can you stop being adhd a moment so we can have a conversation because that's her telling me that the way i do things is misbehaving and i am not a normal brained person who is misbehaving i'm adhd and my adhd brain can do shit that your brain can't your brain can do shit exactly i completely (laughs) agree with
0: you and like there are things that an ADHD person does that I go, God, Jesus, I wish I could do. You know, I wish I had that focus. I wish I could do stuff that way, but I'm not built that way. It's just not. You're built your way. I'm built my way. You have your superpowers. I have my superpowers, and that's it. Do you know what? Do you know what I mean? Uh, Same with autism. You know, uh, I've got a mate whose son is um, on the Asperger's frame. Oh my God, this child is unbelievable. Socially, doesn't really want to be in big crowds and doesn't do big. that's all right. Hey, it's cool. I understand that sometimes being with people can be a right pain in the ass, but he's awesome.
1: There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a comedian, Chad Daniels, who did a piece on uh, autism. And he said, you know, that, that there was a kid in his high school um, that his sandwich couldn't touch the other part of his lunch or he'd have a complete meltdown. And When the teachers explained it to the kids, the teacher said um, he can't handle having his sandwich touch his fruit cup. But in exchange for that, he can play 10 different instruments like an expert. And every kid was like, I wasn't offered that deal because I would love the I, I would love to play 10 instruments like a natural prodigy. In exchange for not being able to have
0: my tags on the
1: back of my shirt. Who needs to know? Who needs to know? (laughs) know? Who needs to have a tag
0: in there? It only tells you, like, you know, for me, how fat I am because I'm like a certain size, right? I don't want to know. So cut them out. It's all good. I do,
1: not, God I love do you. not own a shirt with tags yeah, in it because exactly. it's a sensory integration piece. It, as long as I feel it touching the back of my neck, yeah. my ADHD is off the hook yeah. because I think about it instead yeah, of but this. That's okay. you, right? right? And, and the, the thing about, yeah, well, the thing about being ADHD is not that I don't pay attention. Yeah. In fact, I pay attention to everything equally. Because while we were doing this podcast, the sprinklers came on, I saw a coyote, I saw a bald eagle, I saw a falcon, I saw golfers, I saw the next door neighbor mowing his lawn, and all of these things held my attention equally, and I'm including talking to you. Now the brilliance of our super friendship. Was that you didn't expect me in my ADHD brain to only focus on you and consider me a failure if I didn't? You gave me space to go, and you know I'm standing up while I'm talking. I am not sitting in a chair because if I sit in the chair, I'll start doing this with my computer because yeah, <laughs> to move so around. I have to stand up to move so that I can yeah. pay attention to you. You holding space for me? means we are automatically super friends which means your yeah. superpower has a home in my life and my superpower has a yeah. home in yours and it, and but this is the thing friends. like
0: uh, you know i'm I, I interviewed um quite a little while ago a lady who has two kids on the autism spectrum and she basically and the children have designed uh neurodiverse um clothes right which is great because she promotes that neurodiversity and all of that Perfect. stuff but like and this is the thing right we are diverse as human beings right and i think how she's doing it is very awesome how you phrase it is very awesome i'm not you right it's we're so diverse so yeah but however i do understand and like you've i've also said in the intro like you were an addict so you are a recovering long term recovering addict and i sort of like did A lot of the time, and this is what I've read, that with ADHD, that tends to be the case that people who have ADHD basically, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Have a higher chance. Well, because you medicate yourself with alcohol and drugs and various different things, because you're trying to medicate everything that's going on that you now deal with and accept, but that you medicate because you don't know the tools?
1: Well, there's a, yeah, there's a couple things. And this is very unfortunate because I don't know if I would have survived childhood without medication. So I need to say that for the record. Number two, for the record, as a treatment facility, I had a psychiatrist on my staff who did find the correct medications to give the children who are under our care and the correct supplements and the correct vitamins, and the correct exercise routines, and the correct, we were a holistic program. And holistic doesn't just mean the whole body. It means the whole of mental health care. We cannot just pick and choose a pill over a skill or a skill over a pill. Sometimes we need both. Now, that being said, my personal experience with medication was that that was the world trying to get me and to that's be fair like enough. them. The only way that I could survive school is to think like school was designed, nice. and that's not how I think. Do you know how I think? I, I, I learn by teaching. If I want to really master something, like, like right now, I want to master frugality, financial independence, and retiring early, so I'm going to take this class, and then I'm going to teach it, because if I don't teach it, I'll never know it. Because it's through the embodiment of the experience and through presenting the, and people asking me questions and my brain, having to focus on the answer that I can learn it. But see, school's not designed for all the students to get up and teach. But school's designed for me to focus on what you're saying, remember it, and then put it back down on the test. And look, there are plenty of people who do that for a living. And there are plenty of schools that master that, but that ain't me. But when I was medicated, that was so that I could fit in with you. So that was number one. And that reinforced as a child that I'm not. you, And that felt like punishment. It felt like shame. It felt like misbehaving. And on the other side of that, when I didn't want to take your watered down methamphetamines, so that my brain worked like yours. I had a lifelong habit of having to take something to feel normal. And that was, for me, cannabis and alcohol and LSD. And those things ruined my life because I'm an addict. I'm not going to blame those things. I'm going to blame how Aaron used those things. At 12-step meetings, I did not say, I'm an addict you know my name is aaron and i'm an addict i said i'm an addict and my problem is Aaron. because ultimately it was focusing on the problem me yeah yeah
0: and the thing is um i right? think it's very good that you say that look i've done all of those things that you listed um but i did them occasionally yeah. like you know it might be once once a year, you, yeah. you uh, I mean, <laughs> um, did it regularly. Sorry, that sounded really accusingly, but you like because, yes. you know. No, you're, it's, it's not an accusation <laughs> if it's 100% I know, but I feel accurate. as though I was like, going, right, you, but no, but like I've done all of those things, right? And they were, they, you know, they were great. They were Okay. I did them at a later stage in my life, so I didn't do them in my 20s, which is probably a good thing, because I don't know how mentally I would have been and how I would have dealt with them. But it was an occasional thing, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't major, they were okay, but I didn't do it on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, it's not something that, you know, I, I needed, I had to have in my life. It was, you know, and I suppose the true meaning of addiction is where you're doing something that means that you're, it's affecting your existence, your life. So your relationships, your environment around you. So you, you don't have, you haven't got, you don't care whether you're living in a house, got money, got a job, your family and the people. Oh, okay. Oh, you care. You're.
1: You, you you care i'll tell you you're uh, in my opinion the diff, the definition of addiction is i keep doing things to mess up my life and i can't stop And it's not that I won't stop. There's none of us as addicts who said, Boy, when I hit 28 years old, I want to be living in my parents' house and have no uh, custody of my daughter, had just lost a marriage. I can't wait and I'm going to set my life. None of us wanted this, but A, it was in my nature and B, it was in my nurture. And so what ultimately was taking place was I couldn't stop. And is that my DNA, genetic expression, or is that just me? being lazy? The answer is yes, absolutely. It was my nature and it was my nurture. It was my habit and it was my go-to. I was lazy. I did not want to feel pain. I did not want to remember that I was sexually assaulted. I did not want to remember that I was abandoned my biological father. I did not want to remember that I was bullied. I did not want to remember that as a human being, I was daily failing at it. And Everybody's success reminded me of my failure and everybody's happiness reminded me of the fact that I was suicidal unless I was high. When I was high, I was happy. It's the same way if you say, I've had a busy day at work, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a glass of wine, I'm going to watch Netflix. And you relax and you go, oh, that's nice. Every day. So you start doing it every single day day and now two glasses and then three and then a bottle and not now you're not watching a tv show you're binge watching and netflix is going are you still here like should we keep showing movies or are you dead and ultimately your children suffer your and that can be addicted to Cannabis, that can be addicted to alcohol, that can be addicted to razor blades, it can be addicted to mayonnaise, sex, pornography, running away. You can have a
0: work addiction. You can, like, because, you know, if you're needing, if you've got that – I have to be at work. I have to have my, if you're uh, dealing with trauma, so it could be abandonment. Like I know some, some people say with work addiction, workaholics and stuff like that, they're dealing with the the, the trauma of abandonment. So what they do is they work because if they work, they feel needed, which then fills that gap that's within them, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. And this, this takes away the argument about is cannabis addicted? I'll tell you what, Here's what I need people to hear about, you know, when your child or when your spouse or when you are saying, well, that's not addictive. I can't get addicted to it. After 23 years of sobriety, 14 years of addiction and 23 years of sobriety, after 20 years of working with children who are struggling with addiction, of after 20 years of working with families who are struggling with addiction, when someone says to me, is cannabis addictive? My response is, I don't. Care because, and here's why I know that this shirt is not addictive, but I do know shopping addicts. I know that razor blades are not addictive, but I do know children who cut their own skin like a junkie. I know that looking at naked bodies is not addictive, but I know porn addicts. So, what is addiction? is it the thing or is it the person? And I think if we focus on the person, if we focus on the person's family, we can truly address what addiction is because you're right. There are people out there who can smoke a joint on New Year's and party their butts off and eight months later at their birthday, smoke another joint with their friends. But that ain't me. And so I can't tell you that it's cannabis and I don't care what you think it is. What I know to be true is. People get addicted to doing things that are harmful to them, and they can't stop. I don't care what anybody thinks about that because I know people whose lives had ended because of it, and that's what we have to help. I'm I'm sick of the argument about cannabis. I don't care. I don't legalize it. I voted for the legalization of it. I want decriminalization and blanket but legalization. But the thing is, like you said, it's
0: not that product. It's not that substance. Right? It's not cannabis. I know, and I think it was in the media, like, years back, in the UK, a woman was addicted to carrots. These are carrots, right? She was so addicted, she turned her skin orange. So you go, uh, it doesn't matter. And, I look, I have to agree with you. I think because we are so het up on this addiction drugs, hardcore drugs, you know, morphine, uh, sorry, morphine, heroin, well, opi- opioids, right? Opioids, yeah. Can help people who are in a lot of pain, right? That's sort of what they exactly. Do every single right? day. So, yes. but the problem is because we get hung up on, oh, uh, you know, it's killing our children, it's addiction, ice, and all of these things, right? I like MDMA is now being used to treat PTSD uh lsd is being used to treat ptsd because it puts the brain and it puts those people into a. and i think because of this paranoia um, i don't know we're scared that we're going to give our children a product legalize a product that's going to give our children a propensity to kill themselves i go no 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 we're looking at the wrong thing we're looking at the thing we're not looking at what's causing them to take the thing right so
1: the 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 it's ridiculous that we're going to we're going to spend this time trying to figure out mm. whether or not we should legalize and legalize drugs and support addicts when 30% of the internet is pornography when human wow. trafficking is larger than the drug trade when we are it's it's a shit show and it is not until we focus on the family. I mean, it, it's, it's a it's a strange term to coin, but it has been coined and overused when we say it takes a village. If we know this to be true, then where is the damn village? Why are we not out there? And this here's what I want to say for, for any parent who's been listening to this show and is saying, yeah, okay, well, that was what, what I was going to say. Do, what what, do, we, I what, what do we do? Yeah. So so here's what I have. I have two freebies and then I have a small cost thing, because like I said, when we closed the treatment program, I said treatment is expensive mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually and financially. It is expensive. Prevention is cheap. What is prevention for families look like? How do we do this? So here's what I want to say. If your family's in risk, I want you to go to Facebook and go to parenting teens that's. It's a free group that I have. There's over 2000 members. These are parents who are going through the worst case scenario with their family and everybody's supporting each other. The second thing is my podcast beyond risk and back beyond risk and back is a show where I interview the experts to give parents the information that I'm tired of the experts sharing amongst themselves. Everybody needs the help, right? So beyond risk and back anywhere you download a podcast. My third one is. I have a parenting masterclass and it is 20 years of everything I have ever taught parents in 57 lessons. And it is $37 because I want every parent to be able to afford it. If your kid's doing well, but you know, they could do great. If your kid's doing not so hot and we're kind of worried. And if your kid's like, oh my God, this is terrible. I think they're going to die. You get all three, the red, the The beyond risk, the yellow at risk and the green things are good. Um, But I, they could be great. You get all three of those courses for that $37. You just go to brabapp.com. B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Brab for beyond risk came back. Brabapp.com. Take the quiz, find out which course you should start with. It's 37 bucks. I want, I'm, the, but but now let me jump into more prevention. Family dinners. family dinners proven over and over and over. Turn off the electronics and sit down and have dinner with your child. If not dinner then lunch, if not lunch then breakfast, a family meal every day without electronics is the most important thing you can do with your family. It keeps children out of risky behaviors. Second thing, parents, get to know your children's friends, parents. Because it takes a village. And if you don't know who your kids, friends, parents are, then you're not practicing village work. Third thing, something for your child to do between three o'clock and seven o'clock. After school, before dinner, what is your child doing? If they're online, then you are putting them in the Library of Alexandria, where three out of every 10 books is hardcore pornography. Pay attention. Attention to the library your children have access to. Put them in a club, put them in a group, put them in a sport, send them to youth groups, sending them to a church group, something between 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And number four, parents need to really understand how drugs, cutting, alcohol, behavioral health affects the brain, the real stuff, not the bullshit scare tactics. But what's really going on? If, if you want to say that anandamide is hard, if, if, if that marijuana is harmless if cannabis isn't addictive, then you need to also be able to say in the same sentence what a is. Because if you don't know what a non is, mm. you don't have any business talking about cannabis and its effects on the brain. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you need to really switch so what what is
0: it? What is really it?
1: A non a non-domite. A Mide non-demide.
0: Yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, non. Hey, tell it to me as I'm a seven-year-old. All right. Because you know, it's just
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. But 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 listen, Claire, when you go find out what a non-demide is, you'll be like, oh, marijuana, which I hate that word. Let me be clear. Marijuana is a scare tactic term because that's a Mexican word. And Americans were like, that'll be more scary than cannabis. Cannabis, when you learn what anonymide is and how cannabis and anonymide interact with each other, you will realize it's not harmless. Is it heroin? Good God, no. But stop saying it's harmless.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah.
1: go find out.
0: Well, why. and also, though, we look at, like, I was shocked to read the other day that we've got year five and I'm trying to think what age that would be. So um, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, 10 year olds in this country, in Australia that are vaping at the moment. Okay. Now with well, this is vaping. Okay. It might, they might as well be smoking cigarettes, right? I know they're not, it's not nicotine. It could be flavored, blimey, mean, whatever, right?
1: Oh no, it's nicotine. It's absolutely nicotine. You can get zero nicotine vape, but you can also get zero nicotine cigarettes.
0: Oh yeah, and so the thing is, right? I sit there and I go, but it's if they're vaping every day, it's an addiction. If they can't stop yes. doing it, it's an addiction. If That's it. Um, yeah. you know, it's uh, and also iPads, YouTube. Uh, yes. going on games and stuff. My biggest, oh, my yes. biggest argument with my son, my biggest problem is I want to be on the iPad, I want to do YouTube, I want to, you know, and it's like restricting that, putting boundaries around it, him earning the privilege to have it, etc., etc. Yes, and, you know, and I, and although there are two people in my household, there is me and my son, right, and he hates sitting with me at dinner. We always, like, I agree with you. Like, I always say, no, 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 dinner up the dinner table. We are going to sit and we will, and we might phone my mum and dad in the UK and, you know, have that sort of like, you know, three generational conversation online because they're in the UK and we haven't seen them for two years because I'm in the most locked down city in the world. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's him connecting with his grandparents and we all having a conversation about things. And it's exactly what you say. It's connecting and, you know, you find a lot of things out when they're pushing things around the plate or, you know, drawing. We do a lot of drawing and colouring or playing games because, you know, the distraction of them doing something means that they get a quite comfortable at going, oh, I didn't have a good day at school yesterday or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can then connect in with them. So, I look, I completely agree with the, the the sitting around the dinner table and just, you know, sometimes I'll just tell him, I've had a bad day today, buddy. You know, I didn't do very well at work. And I'll tell him the reason why. And I'll go, how was your day? Did you have a bad day? Is there anything that you didn't do so well? And we'll try and have that conversation. And, you know, so,
1: yeah. The difference is you're willing to be that parent, that when the kid pushes back on the things we know to be good, we put. when the kid pushes back because they want to spend more time with a computer than they do with you, uh, push. don't accept it. Don't fight back. Be the parent. When the child wants to have a smartphone and they're too young, be the parent who doesn't. When the kid says, none of the other parents make their kids, that's fine. Be that parent because the benefits outweigh the cost. I, my wife and I were that parent for our children. My, my, child, my children are 25 and 26 years old now. And I see what being that parent was like. My, if, if my kids had friends come over who were stoned, their parents got a phone call for me if i found out that kids in the in the school were using or bullying i was on the phone with that school i was that parent my children are healthy yeah my my children are taking risks in this world my children are living the life that they want to live and do they hate that i was that parent you bet but do I sleep better at night knowing that I was that parent?
0: You bet. Oh, look, there were boundaries. Ch- there were boundaries that my parents put around me. You know, I couldn't go to a club until I was legally 18. And, you know, all of my friends yes. were doing it and stuff Be like the that. Parent. And, like, I sit there now at 50 going, wow, that wasn't too bad. Like, I hated them. Now you I understand. hated them when they right. did it. But, like.
1: Trade your child liking you today for your child loving you tomorrow. Like that's, that's the investment we make as parents. My children can be angry at me today because they don't like the fact that I fill in the blank. But I would much rather them love and respect me when they're 25. I see my children practice self-care. I see my children resourcing when they're stressed and tired in the same way that my wife and I did. And I know that when my children are in their forties and fifties, that they will understand. I don't need them to like me when they're 12 because I did what they wanted. I did what I knew I believed was right. And I parented based on my value system. And now my children live based on their value system. Well, and I, I think, like that better than my children just liking me in that yeah. moment when I did the thing that they want.
0: Yeah. And look, and a, and a good friend said to me, look, where he tells his children, look, I'm your parent first and your mate second. So I do the parenting thing first and then we can do the mate thing. But, you know, that's yeah. yeah no, nah, I agree. Look, w- uh, oh, my God. I like we've gone way, way, way over time. But like, I love talking to you. Thank you so much. Um I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and um, we could go on various different journeys down different rabbit holes. It's awesome. Um, I don't think I've asked you any of the questions that I said I was going to ask you, but I think we've hit we've hit them. We've hit all of them. So that's okay. And I hope uh, everyone has found this really interesting and informative because I definitely have. Um, and I think it's great. Look, I'm sorry that bloody the insurance companies have shut down the treatment center because I think that's number one shit. And I think that um, you do such good things. I'm hoping that this just opens up an avenue that means that you, your wife, the treatment, the things that you do can get to a wider audience and we're not just restricting it to the 18 kids. We're actually, we're mending and healing a lot more people across the world. Well, that's how I like to look at it anyway. I'm not going to ask you what your superpower is because you've already told me. It's your ADHD stuff, which is I think is awesome and a great way of actually looking at it. Look, um, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, want to give you the half a million dollars that you need for your insurance, which would be awesome. How do they get in contact with you? How can they, how can they get in contact with you? Where are you? What do you do?
1: Yeah, I go to Parenting Teens That Struggle on Facebook. Find me there because I post all my videos, all my podcasts, all my advice. It's a way that people can reach me directly. I moderate the group. Um, You can also go to Beyond Risk and Back, my podcast. Reach me through there. Um, And you can go to firemountainprograms.com. And of course, I'm encouraging every parent to download my Parenting Masterclass $37 $37 right now. I just want every parent to have support. That's at Brab B-R-A-B APP.com, Brabapp.com. That's that's the best way to get in touch with me. And my secondary superpower, just so you know, Claire, oh, okay. is that I just love the sound of my voice. So, uh, okay. that's great. So, talking we all with benefit. you has been awesome. Yeah, well, talking with you has been awesome. Thank you for the opportunity no, to you. to be a part of your work and the amazing things that you're doing, and the and being able to shout at your crowd for a minute i I just really i love the opportunity to be on your show thank you
0: no aaron look i love what you're doing i love your philosophy i love your view it like wow i love everything right it's all good brilliant look thank you so much buddy um yeah look i wish you all the best keep in contact let me know what's going on um you know we'll get you back on if give us an update. You can give us an update in six months time as to where you are, what's going on, what's happening with the foundation and the treatment center and all of that stuff. That would be awesome.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Claire. I appreciate it.
0: Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com We are also on all the usual social media platforms Insta, Facey and Twitter Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon Be kind to yourself and remember no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.